For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's a special post-holiday edition of Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody. Jonathan Rifkin, not ESPN's Ryan Leaf. We have a special guest joining us. He is uh, a lifelong frenemy of mine. Not lifelong, a couple years, but it feels like an eternity, the longest two years of my life. Jordan Brenner, he is the sports director at KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM in Eugene, Oregon, on the campus of the University of Oregon. He's also the student voice of the Ducks in a capacity of football. He'll be calling softball. He's done some Pac-12 volleyball. Um, and if for some reason you're ever interested in listening to one of the greatest high school football comebacks of all time, when the Thurston Colts beat the Churchill Lancers to go to the state championship back in 2018, tune in because I was on color on that game and it was pretty freaking phenomenal. Jordan, we'll get to you in a second, but first we have to talk about sleep. Listen to these studies from Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. Did you know that we need eight hours of sleep? So it was Christmas last night, and it was pouring rain here in Southern California. And I typically am a pretty bad sleeper. Um, I'm a temperature sleeper, right? If it's not cold, if I don't have a weighted blanket on top of me after it's cold, it's tough for me to get the eight hours that I need. Um, But it was raining last night. I was nice and cozy tucked into my bed and the temperature was perfect. And that is one of sleep's biggest problems, right? If you're too cold or you're too hot, you're just not going to have a good night of sleep. Are you a, are you a temperature sleeper? What's your ideal temperature, Jordan? Well, like you, Jonathan, I I need very specific conditions. Like 73 degrees type or 73 and a half preferably. It needs to be slightly (laughs) warm, but yeah, these conditions are, are critical. So I'm more of like a 68 degree. So you obviously like it a little bit warmer. I like it a little bit colder, which means that you and I should get pod by eight sleep. Let me tell you about pod by eight sleep. The pod by eight sleep is a high tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature, pressure regulation, and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperatures automatically. If you're anti-robot, this may not be the ad read for you, but uh, if you are okay with a bed tracking your sleeping habits, then you should definitely get eight sleep. That means if you like the bed cool like I do and your partner likes the bed warm like Jordan, jo- yeah, what's your name? Jordan. I, there's Jonah. There's Ryan. Now you're Jordan. I've had too many co-hosts on these podcasts before. Now you can have both at the same time. It's a crazy comfortable bed and sleep lasts longer and deeper so you wake up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the world. Tripod by eight sleep for 100 nights. If you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. They're already sold out. Of their first two batches, so they're going fast for a limited time. Get $150 off your offer. That's $150 off your original purchase. That's a lot of money. That's some real. That's a real deal right there. 
I need $150 off like everything I buy. Go to 8sleep.com slash pro, E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash pro to get your 8 or your pod by 8 sleep today. All right, so we didn't really have a podcast plan today. Ryan's in Phoenix for the Cheez-It Bowl with Clay Metfic and ESPN. Make sure you tune in Friday night. That's going to be a fun one uh, between Washington State, his alma mater, and Air Force, though he is vehemently of the opinion that Air Force will probably win this game. I actually agree with him. We're not going to preview the Washington State Air Force game because Jordan is currently an Oregon broadcaster. So why would we talk about other schools and other bowl games when we could just sit here and talk about the Rose Bowl with somebody who actually has some knowledge about what the hell is going on up in Eugene because we had Andrew Chimea on a couple weeks ago. It was phenomenal uh, from, uh, from, what's it called? What's the... Not Duck Insider. Yeah, Duck Insider. Quack Quack Cave? I don't know. One of those Oregon bandwagon sites. He was great, but he has a different perspective than somebody who's physically with the team, calling the team, and seeing this team develop. Jordan also um, did some stuff last year for Oregon football as well, so he's seen the progressions over the last two seasons. Oregon and Wisconsin. What do you feel is the overarching perception of duck fans going into this game because yes we know the arrogance in eugene oh we're better the best team in the pac-12 we're better than everybody we're going to blow out wisconsin do you see that narrative actually happening in pasadena you will be calling the game by the way you'll be on this call tune into 88.1 fm if you don't want to watch the a team call this game for ESPN or for abc but i mean do you see the the oregon arrogance actually being played out on the Rose Bowl gridiron. I think there's always going to be a certain aspect of that, right? When you're, when you're coming from Eugene, right? A, a fan base that's always of the perspective that, you know what? We're a little bit forgotten on a national, on, on a national scale, right? But in Eugene, there's also a level of understanding, you know, when you get outside of the Pac-12 that things aren't, always the the way you want them to go look at Auburn week one I I think there's a lot of confidence heading into that game right you have a senior quarterback all the buzz in the world especially in Eugene at Justin Herbert comes back number one level draft pick Heisman contender at that point and then you go on the national scale also returning the entire offensive line 10 of 11 players on offense, experienced defense, Troy Dye, among others. And then you kind of get that confidence stripped from you all at once. The, the way that game progressed, Duck fans had to be super confident he- heading into the third and fourth quarter. And then it was kind of all stripped at once. And that's kind of been a theme for Oregon the past couple seasons. Last year, first college game day in a long while, Stanford at Autzen Stadium, when Oregon, you know, outplayed the Cardinal and all at once, that was stripped stripped away, right? Well, that was by C.J. Verdell's own doing. That wasn't by K.J. Costello's offensive performance. What I'm saying is the feeling of everything stripped away at once in massive games, I think, especially recently, is a feeling that Oregon fans are used to. Well, So let me ask you this, then. Do you think that the Oregon arrogance as a fan from a fan – is warranted given that they haven't been able to really close the deal in big games. Now, Utah was probably the first big game in a long while that they 
have been able to close the deal. But do you think that that is enough to validate this perception that Oregon is the end-all, be-all, and they're going to go in and kick Wisconsin's ass? The reason I've kind of sounded all over the place is because of that Utah game in the Pac-12 championship because there there had been a trend building up of Oregon just failing on such a massive scale over and over and over again. Uh, the narrative of this season for a long time was Oregon kind of getting over the hump, getting over the hump, getting over the hump. Washington State and Mike Leach at home. Justin Herbert doesn't throw a touchdown pass, but the Ducks still able to claw it out against Mike Leach for the first time in a long time. Down, I think it was two touchdowns, if not 10 points, against Chris Peterson in Washington in Seattle, a game that the Oregon Ducks of the past, they would have dropped that game. So Oregon kept getting over hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, and then all of a sudden, once again, Arizona State stripped away all at once. But then you go to the Pac-12 championship game, Oregon gets over it. They execute their best game plan of the season. I just think it's it, it, it's hard to group together Duck fans heading into the Rose Bowl because there are going to be those that are familiar with that feeling of just letting it all go all at once in such a big moment. But then... You know, there are other fans who are going to be like, hey, this team has gotten over a ton of hurdles this year. I, I, I think you know, for such a united fan base, I think there are a lot of different perspectives heading into the Rose Bowl. And I, I think that's what makes this game so exciting. Well, I mean, it's the Rose Bowl. This is the grand. I mean, I, this is not arguably this will be the second best college football game of the Bulls season behind the Ohio State-Clemson semifinal. I don't think there's going to be any other. I don't think the championship is going to be as good. I don't think that the LSU-Oklahoma game is going to be nearly as good. I mean, honestly, Washington State Air Force might be a pretty darn competitive game going on Friday night. Tune in to ESPN with Ryan Leaf and Clay Metfick, by the way. I will always be shameless plugging the boss man, who I'm just so upset that you are here in his presence. You know, I need to apologize to you, Jordan. I needed to apologize to you because... So, so Jordan grew up a Cal Bears fan, and you are going to see a Lovey Smith-led Illinois team come to Santa Clara and just embarrass Chase Garber. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Chase Garber. I am so excited that Ethan Garbers is going to, I said Garber, Garbers. I'm so excited that Ethan Garbers, his brother, shout out Corona Del Mar High School, incredible quarterback, is going to Washington. And while I do think it is a mistake that Jacob Eason declared for the draft today, a big mistake, a big, big, big mistake, we can get into that in a couple of minutes, it's going to open up the door for Ethan Garbers to come in and show who's boss of the Garbers brothers in the conference. I love Cal Bear, the Cal Bears. I've loved everything that they've done this season. I love Justin Wilcox. I love the contract extension. The defense has been phenomenal. What they were able to do with Modster as their quarterback. Modster, right? Mo- yeah. Shout out yeah. another Southern Tesoro High School in San Clemente. Another Southern California boy. Where uh, does this information even come from? You should listen to my SoCal Preps Recruit podcast, man. That's where it comes from. Jonah and I, we know this stuff. So anyways, the Pac- we're going to have some Pac-12 recruits uh, on coming up. Clark Phillips, the third, the highest rate ever recruited player to the uh, Utah Utes who flipped his commitment from Ohio State. will be on the podcast in a couple weeks from out here in La Habra, one of the most dynamic players I've ever seen in my entire life. We'll have... Um, What's his name? Justin Floon from Upland High School, the uh, num- the top defensive player in the nation. On we'll have him on in a couple weeks. He's going to the University of Oregon. Um, we'll have Johnny Wilson, the future Arizona State wide receiver, who flipped his commitment from Oregon on the podcast. A lot of good stuff. So, anyways, my recruitment knowledge is very eclectic. But Chase Garbers and Cal is going to lose to Illinois. Is my point. 
I apologize ahead of time. I love the Pac-12. Do you have a rebuttal? I really like Cal in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I don't know. I I, I love what that program is about and just – let me put this another way. I, I, I love what Justin Wilcox is about and how his team plays for him. I like how I, I, I like the composition of that team in a game like this, right? Where you look at teams who are so offensive centric and they take a few weeks off going into bowl season and you're not getting game reps. You have you have a tendency with those teams to see, you know, a lack of timing, a lack of precision which is needed on the offensive end. A team like Cal, which is a lot of talent in the secondary, with one of the best linebacking duos in the entire conference, you know, you can get out of bed and you can hit, right? You don't need necessarily the same cohesiveness and uh, timing as you do on the offensive side of the ball. I think that team plays really hard for Justin Wilcox. They have bought into what he's bringing, to what he's selling. And I think they're going to, quite honestly, I think they're going to hit the snot out of Illinois. I think they're going to be fine. Of course, the Red Box Bull living up to his expectation of a low-scoring affair. The lowest over-under in the Pac-12. 43 points is the over-under for the Red Box Bull. Now, if you remember last year, the Red Box Bull, 7-6 to six, Oregon over Michigan State. I love that game. People were like, why? No off? Because you know what? Defense is fun, too. Defense is fun to watch. When you can when you can grind out a win 7-6 in today's day and age in the West Coast, that's a fun game because it's different, and I like different. Man, you, you can adopt all sorts of personalities, Jonathan. I can't believe that you actually believe that. That's a, another discussion that we have to have. I don't just believe it, but I believe it. <laughs> okay, let me handle this microphone for a couple minutes. You need to take a break. Uh that was not a good football game. It was not well played. It was a couple of teams that just, especially on Oregon's side, to put up, I understand Michigan State had a really good defense and a good defensive line, but you know what? With those same starters that played in that game, minus Dylan, Oregon had the same starters in that game, in the Red Box Bowl, that they did week one against Auburn. Pretty much, pretty much the same personnel. You can subtract Dylan Mitchell from the fold in the in the week one game against Auburn, but that Auburn team had the number one defensive line probably in America. Michigan State, you could argue, had a very similar composite composition on the defensive side, and quite frankly, Oregon just wasn't prepared and didn't play to their talent offensively in that game, and it was not entertaining for me to watch you talk to and I've had this conversation with people who love Oregon who you know are able to recite third down and seven against Arizona State in 2006 whatever it is any play (laughs) encyclopedic memory of Oregon right I talked to them about that red box bowl they can't recite a single play other than that long Dylan Mitchell touchdown that was a snooze fest well, at least hopefully you were sleeping well with your pod by eight sleep. Um, I'm, I stand by it. I don't care if the offense was bad. I love a good defensive battle because you never get that at the college football level. So I'm okay with it. Anyways, we got off track because we were talking about the, the uh, what, what is it? The Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl. 
Thank you. Now nah, we don't need to talk about the Reds, Red Box bull anymore. That that game, take the under. Take the under. 43 points, too high. Take the under. Uh, <laughs> anyways, look. I don't have to get too much more into the Rose Bowl um, because Ryan and I have talked about it a bunch. Jonah and I have talked about it a bunch because Jonah went to Wisconsin, which still grinds me to my core. Um, but let's talk about Justin Herbert a little bit. And the first question I want to ask with this is, look, we know Justin Herbert of elite quarterbacks had fewer passes for 20 yards than anywhere, anybody else in the nation, right? He was. It's not by his own fault, but of the, the offensive scheme. And I know that I have been a, a more critical voice of Marcus Arroyo for much longer than most people. I know that you are generally ones to give the benefit of the doubt. However, what the Pac-12 championship told me was that Marcus Arroyo decided... I have to coach for my head coaching job at UNLV. I'm going to finally let Justin Herbert be Justin Herbert and just absolutely dismantle what has been a top seven defense, a defense that didn't give up more than 300 yards all season, a defense that locked down corners or with lockdown corners would pressure the pocket more than anybody. Where was that against Washington State? Where was that against Washington? Now, I know C.J. Verdell had a great a great game against Washington State, 360 all-purpose yards. He ran against a defense that just can't stop the run, which is why I think the triple option against Air Force is going to be incredibly fun to watch on Friday night. Um, where was that against Washington? Where was that against Cal in 17-7 win? That was nowhere to be seen until Marcus Royal realized that he had a head coaching job on the line. By the way, he has a head coaching job on the line where head coaches go to die. So good luck for you, Marcus Arroyo. That job is tough. You can rebuttal with, to that as well. But do you th- agree with me that Justin Herbert, coming into the season, very well should have been in the Heisman conversation, but the scheme that Marcus Arroyo employed up until that Pac-12 championship was not cohesive to his talents? Let me start off by saying I generally agree with you about Marcus Roy and the point that you made that you know that Utah game wasn't just the best offensive game Oregon played this season it was the best game Marcus Arroyo coached as Oregon's offensive coordinator and it wasn't even close and to me it was quite obvious why you look at the first drive Oregon had in that game against Utah the read option was more available on that drive than it had been all season long and even though Justin Herbert isn't close to a Khalil Tate athletically, to a Lamar Jackson, that's an aspect to his game that makes him an attractive first-round caliber quarterback. And you know what? That that softened the defense. It opened up running lanes for C.J. Verdell. Why didn't we see that against Arizona State, you know, in the, in the first three quarters when absolutely nothing was happening or when Oregon was shut out at the half against California? That... I will never get over, and it's kind of, to me, Marcus Arroyo was kind of coaching a little bit scared this season, protecting Justin Herbert. The thing about Justin Herbert to me is if you're building your model quarterback in a factory, you're taking Justin Herbert's head. You look at he's an academic All-American, one of the smartest, at least school-wise, quarterbacks in the country. Elite size, big arm, pretty good instincts. Why didn't we see all those tools on display all season long? And, you know, maybe it's a shot at Justin Herbert's toughness. I don't know. Justin Herbert 
to me doesn't have that it factor that is necessary that some other players have at this level to just individually raise the ceiling on an offense to individually go out and win football games. Jonathan, point out a game to me this year where Justin Herbert won the game by himself without that without the help of the run game or the defense putting on a spectacular effort. To me that's what scares me because where he's going to be walking into unless he gets extraordinarily lucky into an NFL team, he's going to be asked to go out without an A-plus cast of characters around him. And he's going to be asked to produce solely based on the talent and grit that he has. I just haven't seen it. He might have it in him. I haven't seen it. Well, so that's an interesting point. Um, and then I want to go off on some of these UNLV former head coaches. But I want I, I don't necessarily agree. I agree with Justin Herbert is not the type of quarterback to elevate the, those ones around him, right? It takes a very special quarterback Trevor Lawrence is a person who can elevate the, the play around him, the playmakers around him. Tua Tungavaloa is another guy. Um, Jalen Hurts did this year at Oklahoma. I mean, we, the list goes on and on. Honestly, I think that if uh, – I think I thought LaVisus Chenault at Colorado was underwhelming this year. If he had a better quarterback who elevated his game, it would have been different, right? He's still going to be a, a, probably a, a third or fourth round pick in the NFL draft. My point being, when you go to the NFL, all these guys made it – Oregon doesn't have an NFL wide receiver. Now, now in the near future, right – who knows what happens with Pittman, but there was nobody on the roster that could elevate Justin Herbert's game, right? So he that's not his style. When you go to the NFL, all these guys made it to the NFL. All these guys are in the NFL because they were good at their programs. They proved something on a practice squad or in the Canadian Football League, which doesn't really happen with wide receivers anyways, to get onto an NFL roster and eventually play on the team and earn minutes and earn downs and earn snaps and earn plays called for them. So Justin Herbert will have players who are A-pluses at their programs and are now at the NFL level. It doesn't matter where you go. Now yeah, if you go to Miami, whatever, but like Devontae Parker's still there. He's still a good receiver. So he's going to have the talent around him at an NFL level to hopefully then elevate his game. So that's I think I don't think he is the elite college quarterback that we thought, but I think that when he is surrounded by talent that was elite at the college level and is still productive at the NFL level because it still takes a damn special kind of player to make it to the professional level, that's where we're going to see him shine. And at the same time, the talent, you're right, is going to be better around him. The coaching staff is going to challenge him more. He's going to be around just, you know, top to bottom, more talented, smarter people. He's also going to be chased around by Aaron Donald and <laughs> other talented players like that. He's going to he's going to be facing defenses that he hasn't seen before and he's going to be asked to do things against those teams that he wasn't asked to do against Oregon. He played against great defenses at Oregon and he's going to play against another one on January 1st against Wisconsin. But like let's look at that Auburn game for example. That that might be the best defense outside of Utah that he faced. And you can make the same argument about Utah. You know, what throws was Justin Herbert making in those games? A lot of first read stuff, a lot of screen passes. You know, there was that one touchdown pass he had in the Auburn game where he, you know, kind of scrambled around, reversed fields in the pocket, threw up a jump ball to the 6-6 
tight end Spencer Webb. He made a jump ball catch. That was a great play by Justin Herbert. But every other throw in that game was an on-script throw. And I, I just feel like we've seen too many quarterbacks get to the NFL who can execute on script, but then you get to the third and fourth quarter. That's when the improvisers, the the special athletes, the special arms, that's when they really show up. And, I, again, I haven't seen Justin Herbert execute that, largely because he, he wasn't asked to do that. And, you know, maybe that's a knock on Justin Herbert. Maybe that's a knock on Marcus Arroyo. Or maybe that's Marcus Arroyo and Mario Cristobal understanding what they had in Justin Herbert. And they didn't want to ask him to do that level of improvising. So the Justin Herbert that we're seeing may not be the just may or may not be the Justin Herbert that we see in a year from now and five years from now. Who knows what happens with him? He has the talent. We'll see uh, if if the scheme, if the team that the team that he goes to is going to be very important. Um, if all of that's cohesive to unleashing that raw talent that we know he has. He has the leadership capabilities. We know that he has the smarts. We certainly know that he's a very smart guy. Makes intelligent plays. It's whether or not that he is surrounded with the right pieces to elevate his game. That was a great point. All right, I made the claim earlier that UNLV is the place where head coaches go to die. And I'm sure that there's somebody out there saying, well, Jonathan, programs change. Look at Boise State. Look what Urban Meyer did at Utah back in the day. No, no, UNLV since uh, 1982. Since 1982. So what is it, almost 2020? I'm not even gonna, it's almost almost 40 years ago at this point, like 38 years ago. Since 1982 has not been a program where people go and change it. Marcus Aro, I really don't know. I th- I would rather be an offensive coordinator in an elite team with a great with Jake Butterfield coming in and Tyler Shuck and a potential transfer and that dual threat from Mississippi who I have no idea still why went to Oregon. I'd much rather manage that team with a chance of winning a national title than going to UNLV and all but being back in the same position four or five years later in an FCS school uh, than I was. So so let's talk about this UNLV thing because I'm sure that's, again, somebody's sitting there saying, oh, well, he can turn on. Or, oh, I'm a UNLV, UNLV fan, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's talk about this. I said, oh, Jordan, you have something to say. Well, sorry, I didn't let, you didn't get to finish your point here. But let me, let me, let me be a rebel for a second, Okay. <laughs> They just invested $35 million in a new football facility. And that is... Well, they're using the, they're, they're using the Vegas Raiders. that They be, are benefiting from what will be a very state-of-the-art football facility. And that, that was my exact next point. Not, they, they have more money going to the experience players are going to have at that program. The quality of the facilities. And, you know... History tells us that matters a great deal in terms of recruiting. The Raiders are also going to be there. So, you know, like the argument people are making about USC recruiting and and how atrocious it is, is that, you know what, it's a 15-minute car ride. Go get in that kid's living room and make your pitch about the USC Trojans. There's no excuse now for the Raiders not to go over to UNLV practice and – Give an extra look to that guy who maybe wouldn't have gotten a look before the Raiders were in town. There's just going to be more eyeballs on UNLV, more money in the program. And I think, you know, obviously UNLV isn't going to be contending for the four or five stars that Oregon, Washington, USC, 
all these Pac-12 programs are going to be contending for, but they're still going to be more attractive than what they were. And you know, Marcus Arroyo is is going to have more tools uh, at hand to use to elevate this program. Go to Missouri, go to North Carolina, go to USC, go to UCLA, and tell me why they aren't recruiting well. I don't think it matters. They're going to get they're going to get more attention. They're not going to they're going to be a sub five hundred team in a group of five conference. I don't. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, teams want to play where winning where winning's a culture, right? UNLV is not a winning culture. So, like I said, nineteen eighty two. So from nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty five, they went eight and thirty seven under Harvey Hyde. Guess what happened to Harvey Hyde after? Never coached football again. 1986 to 1999, 1925. Well, we're going to skip here to Jeff Horton in 1994. Let's see where Jeff Horton went after he went. Uh, well, hold on. Hold on. Give me a sec here. After Jeff Horton went 13 and 44 in four seasons at UNLV. Jeff Horton after that time was a quarterback coach at Wisconsin. And then he went to San Diego State where he's a running back coach. He's never had a head coaching job after that job at UNLV. All right, now let's talk about Tony Sanchez from UNLV. Guess what happened to Tony Sanchez, the previous coach? Well, he currently doesn't have a job. He applied to four different FCS schools. Weber State did not consider him for a coaching job. Neither did Montana. Neither did, uh, oh, what was the other one? Like Central, Central Missouri or something. Another FCS school. Anyways, he does not have a job right now. Bobby Huack went 14, 15 and 49 from 2010 to 2014. Guess where Bobby is now? He's the head coach at Montana, an FCS school. Guess where he was before? He was the special teams coach at San Diego State after he coached at UNLV. By the way, he came from Montana to UNLV, and he had to go back to Montana. That was not good. Guess where Mike Sanford went? A USC alma mater after going to UNLV. Oh, he was bad at UNLV from 2005 to 2009. He went to Utah State as a running back coach. Then he went to Indiana State at the FCS level, go Sycamores. Now he's a running back coach at Western Kentucky. We have not seen a coach go on to be successful from UNLV. Yes, facilities will make it a more appealing place. But if USC is the 78th recruiting class in the nation, and they are top in the top market, in the top region for football recruits in the nation... I have trouble sitting here and saying, well, you know, UNLV might be able to get a three-star here and there from Southern California. I think you bring up a really fair point here. Um, And I want to look at it from Marcus Arroyo's perspective here. I think, you know, a guy like Marcus Arroyo, if you're thinking about the future that he has after UNLV, and from his, his perspective, that's probably a long way down the line. Let's just say it's a fire and it crashes and burns at UNLV UNLV, and he miserably fails. I don't think he necessarily has the safety net that he thinks he does coming from Oregon. Like you, I understand like he did some good things at Oregon and he recruited well, but a national perspective on what Marcus Arroyo did, especially with how many players on this Oregon offense that are going to be playing on Sundays. You look back at what he did. It wasn't exceptional what he did with Oregon's talent. You can make the argument that it was even underwhelming what he did with Oregon's talent. So post UNLV, if he fails there, I'm not necessarily sure he even gets a coordinator job at a power five school. Now, Marcus Arroyo, I'm still going to defend him here. I think it's going to work to a certain extent at UNLV because 
you, you make the comparison, I don't see him even getting a three-star from Southern California when USC isn't even a top 50 recruiting class. Well, top 75, whatever it is. Well, Marcus Arroyo, you know, you, you give grades to certain coaches in different uh, aspects of their, you know, of their duties. Marcus Arroyo, play calling, I'm giving him a B. Uh, recruiting, which is a huge aspect of being a head coach, he, he's an A. He's an A-plus, maybe, and that's where UNLV wants to go. They are investing money in the program to be more attractive to recruits, and they're going out and getting one of the best recruiters they can. It's going to be very important how Marcus Arroyo fills out his staff and how successful and talented those guys are. In terms of getting better players in the program, I think Marcus Arroyo will accomplish that for UNLV. Oh, it's, I mean, you and I can go play for UNLV and they're going to have better players in the program, right? That's relative to the talent they have now. I'm not trying to do a disservice to the to the players at UNLV in any way whatsoever. My point is, is that you're playing in the Mountain West, right? Arguably the collectively best group of five conference in the nation, right? If I'm looking at UNLV and I'm looking at Boise State, Boise State, those facilities are beautiful, right? That's no, Utah State has built up a culture. San Diego State has built up a culture. Hawaii has built up a culture. It's just, it's, it's, that's tough. That's tough. I wish you the best, Marcus Arroyo. Thank you for allowing Justin Herbert to be unleashed for the Pac-12 championship and for having a hand in Oregon as I roll my eyes as I say this, getting to the Rose Bowl this season. All right. We probably should get out of here, but we're not going to. I want to do a quick game of Would You Rather. Basically, Jordan has no idea what I'm about to ask him. I'm going to put him on the spot, and he's going to do the best he can. Whether or not I agree with him is irrelevant, um, but I maybe I'll give my my uh, my own input on some of these. All right. And this is there's no context for any of this, right? I'm just going to say two players in the Pac-12, and you're going to tell me whether or not which one you rather have. It doesn't matter the situation, okay? Would you rather have freshman quarterback Jaden Daniels at Arizona State or freshman phenom quarterback Keaton Slovis at USC. Situation doesn't matter here. Situation does not matter. Um, I might be a little bit biased here. I was at the USC-Oregon game, and I was able to see Slovis with my own eyes, and I understand that might have been, likely was his worst game as a freshman. He still impressed me a lot with what he was able to do in the first quarter in terms of escapability and making the throws, I think Slovis projects as a more polished quarterback than Daniels. Daniels might have the higher ceiling, and this takes a lot for me to say because Slovis was a guy who was prone to making some dumb errors as a freshman. But I think he has a better understanding of the pocket. I think he has a slightly better arm. I think I'm – I might be wildly off on this in a couple of years. We might have to come back to this. I'm going to take Slovis. I think – I don't know. I, I, I just think he's going to be more polished. And he made some throws in that Oregon game in the first quarter in particular. That one scramble touchdown throw, I don't even know who it went to in that first quarter he made. That Tyler, It went to Tyler Vaughn. That was an impressive throw. I'm taking – Slovis narrow margin based on this season I'm taking Slovis based on 
ceiling and what Arizona State is going to have offensively next year. Well, that that's going to change in a year from now because they are bringing in Johnny Wilson um, and and Chad Johnson's son, who is just oh, he's so unbelievable out here. Cathedral, by the way, four star. Good for you, Arizona State. And by the way, the reason that Johnny Wilson flipped was because Marcus Orio left Oregon. He was the one who recruited him from Calabasas. Jordan hit the nail on the coffin, saying that he was an A plus recruiter. We saw that with Johnny Wilson flipping from Oregon to Arizona State. All right, I agree with you, Slovis. Right now, that quarterback battle will be the best in the nation. J T. Daniels versus Keaton Slovis. I'm oh, I'm so excited to see what happens in that spring game, man. Oh, my goodness. So two very different quarterbacks. A lot of fun. I don't think anybody's ever said that about a spring game, but good for you. Well, I just said it. Um, and they also have Jacob uh, Go- Jacob Garcia from Narbonne coming in uh, the following year. We'll see what happens with that. All right. Um, would you ha- rather have, and I'm going to throw a curveball at you, okay? Because I know situation really matters. You rather have... Zach Moss, running back Phenom at Utah, or C.J. Verdell, the running back at Oregon? This isn't close whatsoever. Zach Moss is a better running back in all facets. C.J. Verdell is an explosive player who lacks vision, and if he had broken, you know, four or five more tackles in certain spots this year could have rushed for like 250 300 more yards this season he he missed some glaring holes this year and Zach Moss is a complete player I'm going Moss 10 times uh, out of 10 all right I'm gonna throw these next two at you in one because we we really got to end this thing um okay would you rather have I'm coupling these okay Aaron Gordon Rather, Anthony Gordon. I would have Aaron Gordon over all these guys because that dude balls. But would I would rather Anthony Gordon or Chase Garbers? And then, oh, the second one, would you rather have Mike Leach or Chip Kelly? As a head coach for the second one? No, as a player. Yeah, of course as a head coach. That was a really stupid question. Sorry. <laughs> um, that's a tough one, the Gordon-Chase uh, Garbers one. Chase Garbers elevated that offense a lot this year when he was in for Cal. Anthony Gordon was, you know, a monster in an offense where every, everybody's a monster in that offense. I think I'm taking Garbers a little bit, and this is so unique to the situation. I'm taking Chase Garbers based on how he was able to elevate those around him. Uh, Chip Kelly, Mike Leach, brilliant offensive minds who are grumpy about recruiting. Both of them are grumpy about it. I'm taking Mike Leach because uh, he's been better more recently, and I don't know. Chip Kelly beat Mike Leach this past season because they apparently were playing with a bar of soap that game uh, with all those fumbles. I'm just going to give it Mike Leach. I think that's – I don't have a strong opinion about that one. I think that's less controversial, and I'll go with Leach. All right, I'm going to go with Leach, too. Sorry, Chip. You built Oregon's West Coast offense, then everybody copied it, and you can't innovate, and UCLA is terrible. Um, Yeah, I'm taking Anthony Gordon, man. Wow, what a season this dude had. 5,228 yards, not including the bowl game. 45 touchdowns, not including the bowl game. 178% or uh, passer rate or quarterback rating. (sighs) 
By the way, this guy was a zero star out of Terra Nova High School in San Francisco. He played at City College. It's just it's more like San Jose. He played at the City College of San Francisco. He backed up Gardner Minshew last year. Yeah, you could floor. You could be a monster in Mike Leach system, but to throw over five fifty two hundred yards and forty five touchdowns that takes a, a heck of a player, no matter what system that you're in. I love Chase Garbers. I love the entire Garbers family, man. Like calling that Corona Del Mar game against Fountain Valley and just seeing what Ethan Garbers can do and, and watching Chase Garbers. I agree. He elevated Cal. We saw what, what Cal was without him. That Ole Miss game, I mean, look, you could t- say what you want about the end of that game where they should have called the touchdown and time expired and whatever. The fact that Cal was in that game and actually won in Oxford was really impressive, and that was all because of Chase Garbers in that game. Um, he was the reason that Cal is well eligible uh, because he made them that much better when he played. But, man, come on, man. 72% pass or completion percentage, 5,200 yards and 45 touchdowns any day of the week. Anthony Gordon, you got my nod. Uh, this was fun. This was fun, Jordan. It was nice to have you on. For those who don't know, Jordan actually took got a job over me that he did not deserve. Uh, and I held a grudge for all of five minutes and then realized that college doesn't matter. So that's my take. Did, well, what's going on, man? Where can people hear you? Uh, I am the sports director at the student radio station at the University of Oregon. Uh, obviously you know, Oregon focused, uh, but we work hard. We call Oregon football. We call all sorts of Oregon sports. Softball is one of our biggest sports because we are the sole outlet to, to call that, call those games. And, you know, people in Eugene really care about softball ever since what Mike Lee or what am I saying? Mike, Mike White did for that program. (laughs) Uh, yeah, we, we do a daily sports show, uh, Quack Smack, that you could hear on, on the radio. Fun stuff. By the way, I was just joking. You 100% deserve that job. And on that note, happy holidays, everybody. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. No matter how you celebrate or who you celebrate with, make sure that you're with the people that you love. You tell somebody that you love them. You give them a hug. I don't know. Do something that you don't normally do. I don't know. I haven't done anything that I don't normally do, but... That's just me. Um, but I did a podcast. We did a podcast with not Ryan Leaf, and we got through it somehow. So, Jordan, thank you for coming on. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Please rate, review, and subscribe across all listening platforms. Ryan and I will be back next Tuesday. We'll talk about the Air Force Washington State game that he will be calling at the Cheez-It Bowl on Friday night, which will be tonight if you're listening to this on Friday. We'll also talk about that Monday Cal-Illinois game, um, and then we'll preview the Arizona State-Florida game and the Utah-Texas game. We may or may not have a special guest on as well. But until then, please enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the rest of your holiday season. Um, And again, please rate, review, and subscribe for Jordan Brenner. This is Jonathan Rifkin signing off. This has been another edition of Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.